Hey, Jimmy Atkinson here. Andy Higgins and I just went live on YouTube and covered the most important news stories around the Opportunity Zones landscape. It's a brand new monthly show titled OZ News Hour. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the first episode. Welcome to OZ News Hour. I'm Andy Higgins here with Jimmy Atkinson. Today is November 6th. 2023, and we are covering the most important stories from around the wide world of Opportunity Zones. We're talking about Opportunity Zones. We're talking about Opportunity Zones. Love that jingle, Jimmy. That's uh, Hard that's, to beat that jingle, Andy. Yeah, you know, it, not, I think we've made it now that we have our own jingle. <laughs> I, I had a fantastic weekend, I got to tell you. I got the train out on Saturday. My two-year-old is like begging me to take out the train. I took it out. I set it up. It's officially the beginning of the holiday season when the train is out. So I'm excited about that. Jimmy, how was your weekend? That's tremendous. By the way, we got to get the train on live, one of these podcast mm-hmm. episodes someday in the future here. So bookmark that one, Andy. Got uh, it. My weekend was good. Very relaxing. Just stayed at home all weekend. Got some much-needed R&R after a busy uh, previous seven or eight days of of travel, which kind of grinded me down, but mm. I'm, ref- I'm feeling refreshed now heading into uh, this week. Awesome. You mentioned that you're traveling. That brings mm. me right into our first story today. We want to talk about the Novogratic Opportunity Zone Summit. You were a speaker at the event, correct? I was. Yes, that's right. So what'd you talk about? Well, I talked about, um, so by the way, the event was incredible, if I can just start there. And it was incredible for a couple of reasons. One, there was a lot of energy in the room. It was the first Opportunity Zones conference that had taken place mm. in over a year. And, you know, a, a couple weeks before the conference went into effect, Andy, I got uh, a, an email from a fellow colleague of mine in the OZ industry. And he asked me, hey, Jimmy, I'm thinking about going. Who's going to be there? Do you have an attendance list? Do you know if there's going to be anybody there? I'm, I'm worried I'm going to you know, pay for my flight and get out there and there's not going to be anybody there. And so I emailed the conference coordinator and she said, hey, we've got we've got 80 people registered already. We're hoping to get over 100. I'm like, OK, that sounds awesome. And then I get there. There's 150 people there. So it, it wow. blew away their expectations, the number of people in the room and the the quality of the people in the room was fantastic. Some really good panels, um, which we'll discuss in a minute. Uh, but Andy, I was on the Hot Topics panel, um, mm. which was kind of like a grab bag catch-all. You are a Hot the, Topic, Jimmy. I, I think so, right. yeah. And I think it was it was kind of the um, the the one that was at the very end of the day, right? It was the last mm. panel right before the cocktail hour. So we were the only thing between um, <laughs> the cocktail hour, uh, stopping people from, from getting there. Uh, what I discussed was, by the way, a lot of the panel was discussing uh, renewable energy tax credits and how they interact with Opportunity Zones, which um, quite frankly is a little bit um, beyond me. We relied on uh, the, the, the expert panelist there was Mark Schultz, who kind of covered that topic. But I presented some original uh, proprietary data that Opportunity DB just developed just last week, Andy. And actually, I wanted to see if I can kind of walk everybody through it real quick, just to flash a couple things up on the screen. We surveyed the Opportunity Zones audience that we have developed at Opportunity DB on our email list. And I asked them questions like, hey, are OZs working as intended? Fairly favorable ratings there, although we did have a few negative ones, but 6.6 out of 10. We'll give Congress like a, uh, like a, a just barely passing grading right now for Opportunity Zones. 
Um, plenty of sevens. Well, Jimmy for Congress. I, I got to say though, putting it in context, like what's the approval rate of Congress? It's like in the Congress has got to be like or around in general zero to one out of ten. I would say, right, Andy? Yeah. Um, some other questions we asked are: um, What's your primary interest in opportunity zones as an investor or an advisor? And this one was interesting to me, Andy, because I don't know. I hear a lot about ESG. I hear a lot about social impact. I get questions about. Hey, what's the impact that Opportunity Zones are delivering? Are they actually working? But I asked the investors in the audience, hey, if you've made an investment in Opportunity Zones, why did you do it? I don't know what that number is there under social impact. Is that two people who responded social impact there? It, was, it, it, was, it came in fourth place of these four different choices I gave. Tax advantages, returns, portfolio diversification blew out of the water. Social impact as a reason yeah, for uh, investing. Uh, Jimmy, week. could I put a pin in that just for a second? That is interesting. And, and I mm -hmm. mean, obviously our list at Oppor Opportunity DB, our email list, we have over 20,000 people on it, very weighted towards GPs as well as investors and LPs. But you and I recently presented at the University of Notre Dame's Fitzgerald Institute for Real Estate, and we got to talk about opportunity zones in front of these college students. It was a mix of law students, MBA students, and undergraduates with a real estate minor. Two interesting points. One, I was blown away. I really was by how interested the students were in opportunity zones. Like I did not expect that. Right. But then secondly, same, same here. Yeah, because we because yeah. our our talk was on a very broad set of topics, but everybody seemed to be really focused in on the opportunity zones during the Q and A portion. Go on, Andy. You then what did not surprise me, I guess, was the college students were very. Uh, interested in social impact, right? Mm -hmm. And so like their questions generally, because we, we did the interactive Q&A with the college students, there were a lot of questions about social impact. Um, so, I mean, no surprise, I think college, like I remember when I was in school, like I was more, I want to say idealistic, like pro probably just, you know, I just think a lot of college students are thinking that way, but it's just interesting then survey our audience and it's like, obviously the tax benefits or why we are investing. So a little bit of a contrast there. Yeah. Well, here it was, yeah, th these are investors. These are people who identify themselves as people who had made OZ investments or were interested in making OZ investments and social impact really didn't move the needle much for them. Here's another question I asked. And by the way, uh, I served on the panel with Jill Holman. I know you're going to be talking about her a little bit more, Andy. And, and she suggested, because I was asking during our prep call a week before we were to go up on stage at the Park Hyatt in Washington, D.C. in front of the OZ audience and the Novogratik OZ Summit. I asked, I asked her and the other panelists, hey, what kind of questions should I ask? And, and Jill came up with, hey, why don't you try to figure out how investor sentiment has changed over the past year? So what I did was, just to explain the methodology quickly, I asked, I did not ask any questions one year ago, first of all. I asked all these questions a week or two ago. And the, the, the two questions that go into this slide were, if you're an OZ investor, thinking back 12 months ago, thinking back 12 months ago, how optimistic were you about making an opportunity zone investment rated on a scale of one to 10? Okay, one being most pessimistic, 10 being most optimistic. And I got an average response of 7.1. And then the second question I asked was, okay, thinking right now today, how 
optimistic are you about making an opportunity zone investment today? What's your outlook for making a nosy investment today? Same, same scale, one to 10, and it dipped down to 6.5. Um, I'm actually, I was actually surprised that it hadn't dipped even more, like going from a 7.1 to a four or something like that, or from an 8.1 to a five. Um, I thought it'd be a wider gap. Given the quantitative data that we have from Novogratic year over year, investment activity seems to be down pretty sharply. Um, I asked the same question of sponsors, by the way, too. I just flipped to another slide. It looks very similar, though. This is sponsor sentiment actually ticked down even less from 7.2 to 7.1. So I don't know. Uh, I would have thought sentiment would be down much more. Um, but uh, those were some of the takeaways there. Um, and Jimmy, you know, to, to, on the sentiment thing, there's really, I think, two pieces of that, which is one, investors just have less capital gains, I think, than they were, you know, compared to 18 months ago after that incredible bull market, I think there are fewer capital gains sitting on the sidelines. I also think the commercial real estate market is just a little bit frozen, right? So I think those two things, you know, have obviously slowed it down a little bit. But to your point about how busy that conference was, I think the surprising thing about Opportunity Zones right now is just how much interest and excitement that there still is around the space, given those headwinds. Yeah, another thing to consider is that it's possible that um, if you looked at the individual responses for both of those questions, both for the investor sentiment and for the sponsor sentiment, some of them moved from like 10 to 5. Some of them move from five to 10. And I'm like, how would you move from five to 10 possibly? And, and, and one thought that occurred to me is, well, maybe you joined my list a year ago and you didn't know anything about Opportunity Zones. And now maybe you've read a lot of our stuff, listened to our podcast, come to a couple of our events, and now you're just more confident in your ability to become an OZ investor. So that's, that's the thing that, that, that people need to remember when they read these, this particular survey results. Take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because, um, because our audience is, is somewhat unique in that their, their education or their knowledge base is growing over time, mm. right? Because they're a member of our audience, I would say. Totally. Well, Jimmy, before we move on to the next story, anything else happen at Novogratic? Any, uh, geez, I don't want to say rumors, but anything under the radar that people were, were talking about, you know, on the ground level? Yeah, well, I don't know how under the radar this is. This might be the most over the radar type thing. Um, but the Washington report, which I have focused right now on the screen, if you're watching us on, on video format, uh, this was by far and away no offense to any of the other panelists, no offense to my panel, Hot Topics. Uh, the Washington Report is, is the one that fills the room at all of these Novogratic events. It's the one where Mike Novogratic gets in front of everybody with three or four really heavy hitters from the Beltway and talks turkey about, okay, what's actually going on behind the scenes on Capitol Hill with respect to legislation? Are Opportunity Zones going to get extended? And if so, when? And just two, and we're going to talk a lot more about the legislation a little bit later in today's program, but just two nuggets that I gleaned from this particular panel, the Washington report was one, the biggest detractor, I guess, or, uh, or most vocal opponent, most powerfully vocal opponent of Opportunity Zones is Senator Ron Wyden, 
from the state of Oregon. And he's, he's very important because he's the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. Um, so his support is, is pretty crucial to, mm -hmm. to getting any uh, legislation extension passed. It was, I thought it was very interesting that his office sent a speaker to this event. Grace Enda came and spoke on behalf of um, the U.S. Senate Committee on Finance. She referred to Ron Wyden as her boss. I don't think she serves just Ron Wyden. She serves the entire committee. But it was, I thought it was just a great signal that she was there to begin with. Um, and then the, the, the second interesting note would be that Mike did some, Mike Novogratik right here, did some fairly interesting um, work with the calendar and determined that, um, I can go into more detail about this later if we have time, he considers a year-end deadline not to be December 31 to necessarily pass tax legislation that might include opportunity zones, but he said that the true year-end deadline could be as late as April 30th, 2024, due to how some rules involving um, across-the-board cuts are built into current um, rulemaking in Congress. I can get to more of that later if we have time to go into the details, but those were those were two other highlights that I learned from the event. And just overall, again, great energy. It was great to see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time. It was the first big event that the OZ industry has had all year. So um, I enjoyed well, my time there in Washington, D.C. Jimmy, sure. I mean, that's a perfect segue. The second story we have teed up is about the new Opportunity Zone legislation that uh, was introduced in the House of Representatives. So you've already alluded to it. And at OZ News Hour, we want to cover the most important stories that have happened in the last month in the world of Opportunity Zone. So this isn't exactly the freshest news, but it's it's still very top of mind. I know it was discussed a whole lot at that recent event. And Jimmy, I want to go a little bit deeper to kind of set the context here. According to Novogratik, I mean, there were several uh, pieces of legislation that were submitted in the past year, past couple of years to reform and extend the program. But it seems like this push, like th this is the big one. This is the most, um, I don't want to say legit. Is this the one with the most momentum behind it? Would you say? This is, this is definitely the one with the most momentum behind it. This is the one that is by far and away the most serious. Um, Shay Hawkins uh, was on that Washington report panel. Um, he was the former tax policy advisor to uh, uh, Senator Tim Scott. Senator Tim Scott was one of the original champions of Opportunity Zones, and he continues to be um, during his uh, presidential election now, or the presidential campaign, I should say. Uh, he's still probably the biggest champion of Opportunity Zones on Capitol Hill at the moment. So, um, and he is now, Shea Hawkins is the president of the Opportunity Funds Association. So he stayed very involved with Opportunity Zones over the last six, seven, eight years, basically, since it was first conceived. Um, he <laughs> has a really funny thing he likes to say, which is there are a thousand ideas for op improving opportunity zones and 990 of them are bad. <laughs> so <laughs> all of the good ones, it seems, are in this particular bill that we're going to be discussing right now. It's um, House Bill 5761. This is almost identical to the bill that was introduced in both the House and the Senate last spring, uh, April of 2022, the um, Opportunity Zones uh, Improvement, Transparency, and Extension Act. And there, there are some um, minor changes that were made just to 
um, make it read a little bit better or remove some inconsistencies. Um, but, but broad strokes, everything is more or less the same as it was from last spring. Um, interesting, by the way, this bill has not yet been introduced in the Senate, but it should be rather soon, I think. The thought here is that this bill is not going to pass on its own. It's going to be included at some point in some much larger tax legislation bill that hopefully will get passed before the end of this year. And again, this year could be as late as April 30th, 2024. Um, and just to quickly summarize what's in the bill, if if you care, Andy, do we have time to summarize what's in the bill exactly? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think, you know, what's really important here, the original legislation, the original program had bipartisan support, right? And mm-hmm. so the, the strategy here is to design the bill such that it can still attract bipartisan support. And then, as you said, whatever maneuver they need to get it passed alongside, get it included along with other legislation. But w- what are the highlights? Like what's actually in the bill, you know, top level, big picture? Yeah. So one thing that's in the bill is um, expanded reporting requirements. And it's, it should be noted that this, the reporting requirements are important because it tells Congress and constituents how opportunity zones are actually working and how well they're working. And reporting requirements were in the original legislation, right. uh, the Investing in Opportunity Act that was originally introduced in, I want to say, 2015, 2016. Um, but they were stripped out of the final provision within the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that became Opportunity Zones uh, due to some archaic Senate rule. Um, so we're going to try to put those reporting requirements back in. So number one is reporting requirements. Number two is it's going to extend the incentive for two years. Right now, the deferral period to make an investment of a capital gain into an opportunity zone runs through December 31, 2026. It would push that year end date through December 31, 2028. Jimmy, why, why is yeah. that such a... Why is it such a small ask, right? Like, why only try to extend it two years? Is it just thought that, well, it'll be easier to pass if it's just a two-year extension? Does it have less effect on the 10-year budget window, how they did the 10-year? Exactly. Those two things, exactly. Everything gets scored by... by the OMB, the Office of what is it called? Office of Management and Budget. I may have that wrong, but some there's some there's some agency that basically scores how much revenue any piece of legislation costs the government. And so the more it costs the government, the more of a burden it is to get some sort of legislation passed. So right. if you just extend it in certain chunks, you know, a couple years here, a couple years there, it's easier than you know extending it by ten years or twenty years or or being made permanent. Um, that's my understanding at least. Uh, so, so they're, they're asking for a two year extension here in this, uh, house bill 5761. So that's number two, right? The third thing, and there's five, there's five main things it's going to do. The third thing it would do is it would decertify certain high income opportunity zones. There were, there's opportunity zones all over the country. Maybe there's a few dozen or there were a couple of boondoggles, bad apples, whatever we want to call them, Jimmy. Like, let's just be honest. There are a couple opportunity zones that just should not have been included from the beginning. Right. And and everybody, everybody kind of knows it. And so that this bill would just sort of fix that. And it would be good for the program, right? Because those 
specific opportunity zones really give opponents of the program uh, too much ammo, in my opinion, right? So it'll be very good for the program if that's resolved. Exactly, Andy. And then um, number four, it would allow for a fund of funds. So currently, qualified opportunity funds are not allowed to make an investment directly into another qualified opportunity fund. I don't know why. Um, but they're going to open that up and make that possible for a fund to invest in another fund, which should just free up a lot of transactions to occur and a lot of a lot more investments to to occur. And then number five, it would establish a state and community dynamism fund, which would provide grants and technical assistance to underserved communities. So that's actually something that kind of operates outside of opportunity zones. That's just the fifth big thing that um, that this would do. So what you know. At Novogratic, what was the, uh, you know, did, did you get any predictions? Did you get any forecasts? Was anyone willing to go on record, you know, I, th- I think it'll pass this year or th- th- this is the percent chance, you know, wh- what's the sense? Because I, it's really hard to kind of assign this any kind of probability. And I don't think it's online at those betting market websites that you're always no, linking me to, Jimmy. No, it's not. It should be. But, <laughs> but I, I can't find I can't find opportunities in legislation yeah. uh, available to bet on on poly market or predict it. Those are two of my favorites. Um, nobody really said, oh, yeah, this has a 75% chance or this only has a 25% chance. Nobody really went on record as saying that. I will say, though, that, that Mike Novogratz said a couple of things that were encouraging. One is we have a Speaker of the House now. Mm. And when, by the way, when they were planning this conference like a few weeks ago, they weren't sure if we were going to have a Speaker of the House. So that's actually, as silly as that sounds, it was like a huge hurdle that was cleared to potentially get something yeah. done here. Um, secondly, like we, we, we know who all the players are. Like we know who's on the Senate Finance Committee. We know who's on the House Ways and Means Committee. And that wasn't the case, I believe, the last time this legislation was introduced. Some It was kind of unclear, like, okay, well, who do we go to 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 like negotiate this on. Um, that was, that was actually, um, I'm thinking back, I think that was the end of the last session of Congress. I may have the dates mixed up. Anyways, Mike's main point was, it's very clear who is in all of the leadership positions at this point in time, which just makes it much easier to negotiate on. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, there was no tax legislation last year. And a lot of the provisions in Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act are going to expire pretty soon here. Um, there, a lot of them are set to expire at the end of 2025. Um, I'm sorry, the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. And the problem with 2024 is it's a big election year. Yep. And it's very difficult to pass bipartisan legislation during an election year. So once we get into the spring, especially the summer and the fall of an election year, the chance of any sort of uh, bipartisan legislation happening to, to make any changes to the tax code just becomes smaller and smaller. So really, the window of time is now. It's open right now mm-hmm. to do something. And both sides of the aisle want something. And, and put, put opportunities on the side for a minute. The Democrats want the child tax credit um, expanded. That's like one of their big asks. They want to do more with the child care tax credit. Republicans have all these provisions from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that Trump passed in 2017 that are expiring. Um, 
uh, bonus depreciation being a big one and a right. couple others I can't remember off the top of my head. Opportunity zones kind of fits into both sides of the aisle, like kind of both sides. There, there, there's some good things about opportunity zones that Republicans like. There's some good things about opportunity zones that Democrats like. So, you know, this this OZ legislation that the House introduced a month ago is bipartisan already. Mm -hmm. So there's these other tax legislation priorities that need to get kind of pieced into the puzzle and then spit out into a very large tax bill, hopefully by, again, year end. I'm hopeful that that it takes shape. Um, over the next few months, but well, we'll, I mean, we'll it's, see. It's hard yeah. to predict what Congress might do. You know, I think that the the table is set, and I think some elements are there. Um, I also think to be realistic, you know, opportunity zones just aren't probably in the top ten priorities for most of these representatives and senators, they, right? Fr yeah, frankly, frankly, they're not. And by the way, tax legislation is not in the top five priorities for a lot of people on Capitol yeah. Hill. You know, right. we have. We have problems with the economy. We have uh, war in, in, in Europe. We have war in the Middle East. You know, there's a lot of other issues um, that are at stake that, that don't really play into tax legislation, unfortunately. Right. Right? Right. I, wish, no, I wish the world's biggest problem was tax legislation and whether yeah. or not opportunity zones might get passed. But uh, right. yeah, let's not forget that bigger picture. Congress has a lot of problems that they're looking at. Legitimately, is a very small piece of the puzzle, and opportunity zones is a very small piece of that piece of the puzzle. Right. Obviously, it's a priority for us hosting the OZ News Hour, sure. operating opportunity DB. But you know, keeping it all in context, that's important. But I remain hopeful. You know, even if not in this Congress, I remain hopeful something will somehow get passed. If uh. Congress is anything like a, a college student. They're going to wait till, you know, 1159 midnight, the day before the assignment is due. And then at the last second, they will extend it. But Jimmy, Congress is a lot like Congress is a lot like that. And by the way, sorry to interrupt, but I did want to bring in this. We were, we we're getting comments from our viewers. Andy. Oh, yeah. So this is from this is actually from our colleague, Michael. Michael says, I think some of the tracks that would be disqualified under this proposed legislation are near college campuses. Uh. College students don't have any income. By the way, we spoke about this with the Notre Dame students, right? Because yeah. there's some tracts just south of the University of Notre Dame that are technically low income and are designated opportunity zones because a lot of students live there. Um, and I, I, uh, Michael says he gets that hostility toward a lot of those, but it would be a disservice to remove an incentive to build student housing. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Well, I, I think it's, I think Michael makes a good point. As I told the Notre Dame students, I said, well, to be fair, technically speaking, you are poor, right? Uh, in terms of your net worth, your personal yeah. balance sheet, especially when you factor in student loans, but obviously uh, income as well. And, you know, I, I think to Michael's point, the whole idea, the rationale behind Opportunity Zones is to incentivize these projects to be built that would not otherwise be built. But, uh, you know, once you get in like to that individual project basis kind of political discussion, you're going to find out uh, it, it's almost better politically, Jimmy, I think, to keep things a little bit general, a little bit vague. Like I love pointing to success stories, but once you get down into the weeds, there's like a lot of landmines. <laughs> like we're talking about, you know, real estate and economic policy. Um, but Jimmy, I, I want to turn to something more exciting where we're talking about DC. Like that's a little depressing talking about politics. Let's talk <laughs> about our third story. Something more exciting. We have an event coming up this Thursday, OZ pitch day fall. 
2023. Jimmy, what what pit number pitch day is this? Is this the tenth pitch day? Is this, this the is number ten? This okay. is OZ pitch day number ten, Andy. Our very first one was fall 2020. So it's our it's our copper anniversary, right? Or what? I, something I we should look that up. What is what is ten? <laughs> I'm gonna look that up. Okay. Well, so we have this online event happening on Thursday. I'm guessing most of our viewers and listeners are are familiar with OZ Pitch Day, but if not, I want you to know that it is free to register. It is free to attend. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, this agenda that we're gonna talk about here in a minute but it is chock full of very popular segments. I know one of our most popular segments features Ashley Tyson. There's a Q&A with him, so he's coming back. Also, just a lot of deal flow. I mean, I think as a, a personally, I'm an Opportunity Zone investor. I'm an LP. I like to see deal flow, right? Like I, I never know if something's going to really pull me in, and, and, I, and I go, wow, that looks like something I might want to invest in. So, Jimmy, talk about what we have coming up on Thursday with this event. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh, first of all, copper is seven. Oh, um, I tried. Ten, ten is tin or aluminum. That, means aluminum. Ten, ten. that doesn't sound real. Aluminum anniversary. I, I don't know. That's what Hallmark.com says. I'm looking okay, at it right now. Fair. My other screen here. Okay. Uh, yeah, OZ Pitch Day. It's our tenth one. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. We're gonna have 800 plus investors who register for this event. We're gonna have a ton of education. We're doing, we're going to start the day with my OZ 101 crash course. Andy mentioned Ashley Tyson from OZ Pros, the OZ Sherpa himself. He's going to be joining us for the Ask the OZ Expert session. And then we're going to have our first ever investor roundtable featuring me and three other LP investors in different Opportunity Zone funds, kind of telling our war stories, basically. So I'll walk you through the entire agenda right now quickly andy if if you think that would Please. be interesting so as i mentioned we're going we're to start the day it starts at 10 a.m eastern time on november 9th opportunity zones for high net worth investors i just do bam these are opportunity zones these are how it works this is how the tax incentive works this is the form you need to file with the irs every year i walk you through all of that in a 20-minute crash course and then we get into our pitches we'll have three pitches in the morning from grub properties Veterans Villa, and our title partner, Urban Catalyst, who does ground-up development in downtown San Jose. Then we'll take a break from the pitches. We're going to do our investor roundtable panel featuring myself, Jack Cust, Seth Rosenberg, and Remy Skidkir from, um, from, from our Opportunity Zone community. And Jimmy, um, that's a that's yeah. a first ever. Like We've never done this segment before at an OZ Pitch. This one's this brand one. new. So yeah. We always have one or two panels featuring me as the moderator, and then usually two or three or four OZ experts, accountants, lawyers, fund managers. Uh, we've had representatives from EIG uh, join us to, to kind of talk about uh, inside baseball as it pertains to Opportunity Zones. But this time around, I, wa I wanted to do something different. I, I threw out this idea. Andy, to you and, and Michael on our, on our group chat um, a couple months ago, I said, hey, how about for our next OZ pitch day, we do something that isn't professionals, it's just investors. Like, let's get other investors, just, a just do a roundtable, talk oh, about hey, how, do we, how do we incorporate opportunity zones into our investment portfolios? What do we like about them? 
And what are some what are some horror stories or war stories? Like, how did we actually get involved with OZs? What's gone right? What's gone wrong over the past couple of years? So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, in the afternoon, we've got Caliber, who will be presenting their fund, GTIS Partners, Nest Opportunity Fund. I know we're going to talk about them in a few minutes, Andy. They, they had some news, actually, for the roundup. Uh, here's a self-storage deal I really like um, from Your Space America. And then we'll break again for Ashley's Ask the OZ Expert session. This is our most popular session, it seems, every time. A lot of really good engagement from the audience. If you have any Opportunity Zone question under the sun, no matter how basic or how complex and nuanced, come to OZ Pitch Day, throw it at Ashley. He'll have an answer. And if he doesn't, we throw him in the dunk tank. Um, and then we kind of round out the day with USG Realty Capital, Elevaz, Modern Mill. We've got one open gap right here. We're gonna, we've got a couple people we're, we're looking at filling in that slot. We're still, you know, Monday afternoon, uh, 72 hours before this slot. We're gonna get it booked in the next, um, I think we're gonna get it booked in the next few hours here, actually. I know Michael's working the phones right now. And then we're gonna round out with, OZ Dev Group in the afternoon before I give my concluding remarks. So that's it's a full day. You can come and go as you please. Check out the agenda uh, anytime at our website, ozpitchday.com or on opportunitydb.com slash pitch hyphen day. Register and uh, show up for the uh, for the segments you want or show up for the whole thing. Andy, what questions do you have or what do you look forward to the most about OZ Pitch Day? Well, you know, I got to say, I like the panels, I think, the, the mm -hmm. most, um, and especially this time around with the investor panel, I'm looking forward to learning about what other LPs or family offices, how they think about opportunity zones. But I also got to say, I always learn about one deal that I didn't really know much about. And so yeah. I think that the, the main appeal of OZ Pitch Day is to see all of this deal flow in one place, in one go, like, right, it's, it's one day. And you can kind of review all the, all these offerings are open right now. Um, so for me, you know, I'm a I'm an OZ investor. I'm an LP in multiple different funds, and uh, you know the, the fact remains: even if we're not sitting in on as many capital gains as we were maybe two years ago, uh, a lot of LPs still have different ways to engineer them if they need to. And so I think it behooves all of us just to see the different offerings that are out there. There's some stuff that's a little bit. Um, you know, off the beaten path or, or a little bit different. And I think that's what a lot of investors are looking for. Something different, something unique, uh, something that could offer attractive outsized returns because it's different. Jimmy, anything else on pitch day before we move on to our next story? Well, I, I don't know what you're doing with your capital gains, Andy, because the S and P 500 is up 14% year to date. Um, so just throwing that out there, yeah. but it does seem to be, it does, that does seem to be the sentiment, right? Like this was, this was kind of more fun to do when the stock market was booming even more before that dip. Right. And before inflation started rearing its ugly head. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's basically it, Andy. That's, that's Uzi pitch day in a nutshell. Uh, I don't know that I have anything else to say well, about it at let's this point keep, in time. Let's but keep, keep moving forward, Jimmy. We have looking forward to it. We, we got two more news stories to cover. These are both, uh, no, three more news stories to cover. <clears throat> These are tip of the cap type stories, news and announcements from sponsors and asset managers from around the OZ landscape. I wish I had my hat so I could do the, the physical tip of the cap. By the way, tip of the cap to the Texas yeah. Rangers. Do you have your Rangers hat? Uh, uh, no, not on me. It's in the other room. I blew it. <laughs> well, congrats on the World Series win. But speaking of good news, 
Next story, Nest Opportunity Fund completes two projects in Lexington. So this was a press release, uh, came across my desk via Jill Homan, uh, published on Press Wire. The Nest Opportunity Fund proudly announces the completion of their two most recent projects in Lexington, Kentucky. Located in the Duncan Park and Greater East End neighborhoods, these properties offer prime locations just minutes away from downtown. These projects were completed over summer 2023 with support from valued investors, the dedicated Nest Opportunity Fund operations team, and their adept construction managers. These homes will go on to be in the care of property managers and remain a part of the culture and character of the neighborhoods, providing comfortable living for local residents. It's always great, Jimmy, to see a project come to fruition, right? I mean, the OZs, these these projects have such a long lead time with ground up construction. Uh, I love seeing these kind of uh, launches. So tip of the cap to the Nest team. I, I just like that Clint's got his phone number in this press release here too. I'm pretty sure that's a cell phone number, not a, oh, not boy. even his PR contacts uh, number, but that's, that's Clint himself. Clint's great. I have known Clint for, I want to say four years now, maybe uh, we met pretty early on in the OZ program. He's been a longtime supporter of opportunity DB and has uh, sponsored most of our 10 OZ pitch days. And he's going to be presenting on this one upcoming on Thursday. Um, great. Great guy, great firm he's got, and a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good product he has too. I like what he's doing in the Midwest. What is the Nest? Do you know what the the offering is that Nest will be presenting on Thursday? Uh, yeah, so they have a portfolio of um, improvement projects that they do. They, I think they do some ground up construction, but they they uh, rehabilitate a lot of. Um, blight blighted uh properties in the midwest they are located themselves in columbus ohio so that's where they do a lot of their work is in columbus ohio but a lot of great um, stuff comes from columbus ohio jimmy well yeah andy higgins comes from columbus ohio so (laughs) um some not so great stuff comes from columbus ohio too (laughs) andy as you know um but uh is that a football reference also, i think that's a that's a football reference it was a football reference i'm yeah, not yeah, a yeah. really big fan of the buckeyes and yeah. uh you know yeah yeah um kentucky he's he he has some properties in kentucky as well but, so but he, and, and and all of his stuff all of his stuff is residential so um multifamily and single family rentals and, and that's what he's doing he's essentially he's he's, he's bringing more housing stock to low-income neighborhoods um in those locations in the midwest and, and I think that this press release speaks to that. And I think it's interesting that they're doing value add rather than ground up construction. There's so much ground up construction in the opportunity zone world, which is great, but it's also great to see, you know, value add. And, and to your point, we desperately need more housing in the United States. Indeed we do, sir. Indeed we do. That brings me to my next tip of the cap. Our next news story, Capital Square fully leases Scott's collection retail and office space in Richmond, Virginia, qualified opportunity zone. This via PR Newswire. Uh, I'm going to read just a little bit uh, from the press release, Jimmy. So Capital Square announced today that the retail space in the company's Scott's collection mixed use properties in the Scott's edition neighborhood of Richmond, Virginia are fully leased. Scott's collection is comprised of three boutique mixed-use multifamily communities within the Qualified Opportunity Zone located in Richmond's thriving Scott's Edition neighborhood. Inc. 
Viv and Jem, I think I'm pronouncing those right, located within blocks of one another in the walkable community, provided a total of 209 Class A apartment homes, approximately 5,900 square feet of ground-level retail space, and approximately uh, 1,939 square feet of Class A office space. And so, Jimmy, this includes Lillian Oyster Hall, which is a raw bar restaurant, uh, Parousia, Perusia, Parousia, coffee, a per- premium coffee roaster. It and- sounds fancy. I want to go get a cup of coffee. And then, well, th- then check this out. Core Fitness, RVA, a boutique gym that offers one-on-one and small group personal training, as well as Capital Square's regional development office. Jimmy, there's an oyster bar. There's a premium coffee roaster and there's a boutique gym. I, I think I know where I want to move to when I retire. Yeah, maybe I mean, you can get a job awesome. With, you can get a job with Capital Square too, and you never even have to leave the place, right? Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> this sounds pretty cool. Congratulations yeah. to Capital Square. Like again, I know these projects take so much lead time, so much planning when they, you know, come to fruition when they are leased up, fully leased up. Uh, it's important, I think, to just take a minute to, to congratulate people from around our industry with these success stories, right, Jimmy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great work by James Brunger, his team, and Lewis Rogers at Capital Square, and Jill Swartz, their PR contact. We know Jill Swartz. She's a good one. She uh, she makes sure that Capital Square is always front and center in the news. And I, by the way, Andy, I think because of Jill, we're probably going to be highlighting a lot of Capital Square ongoing on this show because it seems like they've they're pumping out a press release every month about the great work that they're doing in Opportunity Zones. I mean, not just Jill. Capital Square is doing the work, but Jill makes sure everybody knows about it too. Well, as well she should, as well they should, because, you know, to, to the point about the whole political atmosphere surrounding Opportunity Zones and the political and policy debate, it is so important to celebrate success, success stories, right? Both in terms that, of- That came up. That came up at Novogratic, by the way. I mean, some one of the questions during the Washington Report panel was, hey, uh, how do we how do we make sure that that this legislation gets passed? And um, one one of the panelists said, "Hey, make sure that you if you have an opportunity zone project yeah. that gets built or does some good work in the community, write a press release on it. Make sure it includes the words opportunity zones. We'll pick it up, and we'll make sure that that people hear about the right people need to hear about it. So yeah, absolutely, Andy." You're spot on there. I mean, and, these, and by the way, they, they matter. But, but by the way, you know, one of the way, one of the ways that we learn about successful projects or announcements like these Google news alerts, uh, that's one source. Uh, Jimmy, you just, all the people you talk to, you hear it through the grapevine. Uh, Jill Holmes newsletter that we're going to talk about in a minute. That's another great resource. We're now going to be covering these sorts of news stories in this program. So email me, Andy at OpportunityDB.com. Feel free to email me if you have any news tips. We can try and cover them in future episodes of this program. One more news story today, Jimmy. This is a fun launch. I love fund launches. Epic OZ Fund 1 LP has launched. They are targeting $180 million in commitments. And... I just love the, uh, what do we call this? The subheading of this press release. A, a woman-led Opportunity Zone fund with innovative, quote, across-the-aisle investment strategy aligns impact with returns. Whoever wrote that, you have my tip of the cap. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Epic OZ Fund won the fund, a groundbreaking 
QOF is officially launching today. Uh, I, think, I believe this was last week. Seeking to drive positive change in communities and deliver attractive risk-adjusted rates of return to accredited investors. Epic, representing energy, P3 real estate, infrastructure, and community, aims to foster holistic growth and sustainable development in opportunity zones across the United States. Um, so the fund is, quote, steered by a diverse team, bringing a wide range of perspectives to the investment realm, managed by co-founders Kelly Ann Winget. Kelly is a friend of ours, as well as Rachel Voss, CEO of Syzygy Cities. I think I pronounced that right. That's right. Syzygy. You got it. Yes. Um, so, Jimmy, I just, you know, we, we've talked with Kelly. We've talked with Rachel about this fund. It's awesome to see it finally come to fruition and launch. So congratulations to Kelly and Rachel on your launch. Absolutely. Yeah. Big congrats there. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how this one progresses going forward, but uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. it's just, it's another example of how many unique funds and unique strategies are in the opportunity zones world. You know, I think a lot of people think of opportunity zones or even commercial real estate, Jimmy, and they think basically industrial and multifamily, like, you know, it's all the same. Well, it's not all the same. There are so many different types of deals happening in the Opportunity Zones world. And I know we're going to cover a lot of that ground on pitch day, on Thursday, seeing all that different deal flow that's happening. But Jimmy, before we wrap up today, I want to get your pick of the month. So this is your pick for what our audience of Opportunity Zone professionals and investors, what they should be reading or watching or listening to from around the landscape. Yeah, well, my pick of the day or pick of the uh, pick, pick of this of particular month. news hour program. What's that? It's the pick of the month. Pick of the month. Okay. Apologies. It's a pilot episode. We're working out the kinks. <laughs> Live TV, folks. My pick of the month, my opportunity zone pick of the month is the EIG research. So Kenan Fickrey uh, was one of the panelists during that Washington report at Novogratic OZ Summit last week. And he referenced all of the great work that he and his team do at EIG. Um, starting with this piece right here, are Opportunity Zones working? What the literature tells us. Uh, EIG has a ton of great original research around the Opportunity Zone tax policy. For those who are unfamiliar with EIG, they are the Economic Innovation Group. They are the uh, bipartisan economic think tank in Washington, D.C that spearheaded the original Opportunity Zone legislation. It was within this group that the Opportunity Zone concept was first conceived about 10 years ago. Um, and now here we are, and they're producing some really great research. But I, by the way, this research tells, uh, tells us a lot about Opportunity Zones. I wanted to focus on two particular charts, though. One is this. So Kenan pointed out, that there has been a lot of research from some prominent economists and think tank policy wonks, for lack of a better term, that have been very critical of opportunity zones. And the fact of the matter is almost all of them have drawn conclusions about opportunity zones, about how opportunity zones are not working based on a very limited set of data. So this 
this chart right here analyzes, what is this? Three, six, nine different research studies to date and shows, look at the, um, look at the study period for a lot of these uh, research reports. They only studied opportunity zones. The first four of them only studied opportunity zones up through 2019 before the regulations were even finalized. And we're able to draw conclusions. Well, opportunity zones aren't working or oh, it's just were, were those, Jimmy, do you think those were even good faith attempts or were they just sort of, uh, you know, part of that whole uh, research industrial complex that we already know what our conclusion is and we're going to, you know, pump out some research to support our pre-existing conclusion ideological I, agenda? I won't comment on that, but I'll <laughs> let our viewers draw their own conclusions. Sure. Okay. Fair. These last these these next four, their study period goes a little bit farther, but they're still not quite, you know, getting far enough along that that they're able to draw any meaningful conclusions. This uh, this Wheeler study, Kennedy and Wheeler, I believe it is, um, is is probably the the best one, and it, this is the one that um, the Novogradic uh, Opportunity Zones Working Group has has drawn on a couple of times. Uh, th this group actually does some pretty good work here and you can see their their study periods um pretty lengthy here so that was one thing that this research points out another one is i don't think it's in this article but i took a photo of it um at the novogratic uh oz summit you can see i've got a front row seat here um this shows new developments within opportunity zone eligible tracts and the orange dots are the tracts that actually became opportunity zones and the green tracts were eligible to become opportunity zones but did not become opportunity zones. And you can see right around the time that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was enacted right here at the beginning of 2018 is where these plots start to diverge. The green stays mostly flat, trending slightly upward, but the slope of the orange dots is a little bit more hockey stick shaped. I, I mean, that's say. a huge, much I mean, that's slope. a huge delta. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's, visually what I'm seeing is a pretty dramatic difference to, to where correct. these opportunity zones are attracting this, this capital. Absolutely correct. So um, tip of the cap, and I forgot my cap, but I'll wear it next time, uh, to EIG, Ken and Fickrey, John Latieri, Catherine Lyons, the whole team over there and the work that they're doing to advance opportunity zones. Awesome, Jimmy. Thank you for your pick of the month. I want to do my pick of the month now. Actually, I have two this month. I'm allowed to do that, right? My first is Jill Homan's wonderful newsletter, the Opportunity Zone Outlook newsletter. So Jill publishes this newsletter every week. It's free. I believe it's a must subscribe for OZ investors and professionals. Uh, some of the news stories that we discussed today, by the way, were stories that I was made aware of because I read this newsletter regularly. So thank you, Jill, for keeping us all informed of news and developments from across the OZ landscape. And if any of our viewers or listeners are not yet subscribed, make sure to head on over to javelin19.com and sign up for this. It's, it's very worthwhile. I'm also going to make sure to link to it in our show notes so everyone can access that link very easily. My other pick of the month is an article that was published by JTC Americas. Jimmy, I love the team over there. This article titled, What Do OZ Projects Actually 
look like. And I, this, this is exactly what really we've talked about all episode, this entire show today, Jimmy, we've been talking about, we need to talk about success stories. We need to talk about wins and impact. And by the way, even if you are, you know, roll your eyes at the word impact, like, well, it's still important to talk about, right? Because we want to reform and extend this program. So it's, it's important to, to win the battle in the court of public opinion. Uh, Can I interject there real quick, Andy? Here's, here's what I'll say about impact, by the way, that's really important is that while you may remember the data that I shared about how impact was not the top priority of our investors. It was the tax advantages by far and away. And then returns and portfolio diversification came in second and third. Social impact was a distant fourth, basically. That said, that is how this policy is designed. The policy is designed to be a carrot for investors, right? Hey, investor, I'm the government. I'm dangling this big tax advantage carrot in front of you. The government is doing it because they want social impact. They want these areas lifted out of poverty. So it stands to reason, well, of course, investors are investing in opportunity zones because of the carrot. But the fact of the matter is, while a lot of these opportunity zone investments, the investor is focused on market rate returns. They want to produce a return. They want to achieve alpha because of some of the tax advantages that are bundled into the program it's gonna produce social impact, Mm -hmm. right? And if this particular project that an investor might be investing in maybe doesn't produce enough social impact, oftentimes the first mover into these low-income communities that are opportunity zones that receive their first influx of private capital in a year, 10 years, 20 years, a generation or more, that investment can become catalytic and can produce a snowball effect where now, oh, there's this new multifamily building that just went up. I'm going to move my business here. I'm going to bring more jobs in here. I'm going to increase the tax base. The investors don't necessarily need to think long-term about those types of after effects of opportunity zones, but those effects are indeed happening in a lot of these locations. So I just wanted to interject with that, like social impact is crucially important to, dis- to display that these projects are having social impact. And I do truly believe that they are, even if investors may not be purely focused on that. And you're exactly right. That's how the program was designed, politically speaking. And, and again, why do we care? Because we want, <laughs> we want the, the program to be extended, you know, reformed and extended. And this article published by JTC Americas points out you know, urban real estate projects in the OZ world, they get the, the, the outsized share of attention. But there are so many other different types of projects, unique success stories that have clear social impact. And if I may, it, you know, human beings, we are hardwired to pay attention to stories, to be convinced by stories, to, uh, it, th- those are really what changes hearts and minds, right? So if, if Senator Wyden is going to end up, uh, you know, maybe being in favor or, or at least a- allowing uh, allowing in, in the committee this legislation to move forward in the Senate. It's going to be because something moved him. And I think it's more likely to be these success stories than, you know, may- maybe any individual, you know, wonky type policy detail, because it, it's really it's hard to argue with a success story that has actually happened, that has made an impact 
somewhere in the United States and JTC Americas provides all these different examples in the article. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a must read, but I also think it's the type of content that we need to be producing more of in the OZ sphere to kind of, to, to trumpet the, the social good of the OZ program. So that's my pick of the month. We'll link to that in our show notes as well. And Jimmy, I think that's it for today's show. We'll be back soon next month with our next edition. Thank you to all of our viewers and listeners for listening to OZ News Hour. And Jimmy, thank you for joining me today. This has been a ton of fun. Andy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. We're talking about opportunity zones. We're talking about opportunity zones.